I didn't forget you, Al. I just forgot it was Tuesday. <laughs> well, that's all right. It gave me. I've been just sitting here taking photos of blue jays out the window. I, I don't think there's a, I don't know that there's a more beautiful bird around here, particularly in the winter time. Um, uh, cardinals are, are right up there. There's a lot of birds. I think all birds probably tie for first place in the loveliness category, but. Man, blue jays are just breathtaking. Have they chased the other birds away as they sometimes do tend to do? Yeah, a little bit, but not too bad. They're just the way they are, and uh, they uh, they don't seem to really uh, they don't they're not pecking anybody. They just fly in and they holler jay. I've had, I've got a Cooper's hawk in my yard, and so they're on constant stage uh, state of alert because they're uh, they're worried about the cooper's hawk might be coming in and eating them which i understand i um you know and then you're you're, you're torn between putting food out because you want the birds to feed and then you think well maybe i should pull the food back for a day or two maybe the hawk will disappear so it's one of those things, uh, like I tell everybody, the hawk uh, considers our bird feeders to be actual bird feeders, so they come there to get birds. From a dairy farmer, that would be called the bunk feeder. Yeah, it sure would. So they're they're coming to eat, and uh, it's just part of nature. And But um, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll maybe put out a little less food here for a day or two and see if that helps. Well, I want to thank uh, Amos Vogel of New Ulm. Uh, Amos, just a good guy, and he gave me some venison sticks and jerky. And being a guy, you know, we can pretty much live on venison, beef or venison sticks and jerky. I had some ostrich sticks a while ago, and man, they were, they all taste kind of the same to me, which is great. I just love Don't that they mostly taste like salt? I mean, it seems like they have like a ton of salt in them. I don't know. I, you know, I can't say anything bad about them. I uh, just, uh, if I get too much salt on my popcorn, I don't like <laughs> it. I don't salt anything. But there's something about beef sticks and venison sticks and jerky that just, man, it's, and it's one of the best travel foods for being on an airplane or something. You know, especially. If you want the guy next to you not to talk to you too much, you just eat one of those things, and and pretty soon they're just, oh, man, it gives you that good breath, and they're wonderful things. I also want to thank the Lutheran seniors of Wasika for allowing me to come in and babble a bit at one of their fine meetings. What a big crowd they get at those things, so great, uh, great people. Uh, I stepped outside to, what do we do? We step outside to attempt to grok the day and that G-R-O-K to get some understanding to the day, what's going on with the day and figure things out. But I spotted these tiny visitors. They're common red poles and they're about the size of a goldfinch around there. Um, These guys are so cute. They have little red poles, uh, red caps, and they can tunnel into the snow to stay warm at night, and they're able to survive temperatures of a minus 65, 65 below, and, and they're not wearing any um, Canada goose clothing or uh, Carhartt clothing or anything else that we can think of, just little feathers, 65 below zero, so these mm. little guys are, are really cool to see, and look outside, you might see some. They reminded me of listening to the whistling of pine grosbeaks one day in Alaska. Grosbeaks make a different sound in the winter. It's a whistling. And it inspired me to travel to the Yukon to see other birds. 
And I sat in the car as a Canadian Border Patrol officer checked me out. And I hoped that my path might cross with those of goshawks and ptarmigans. And near the building from which the officer emerged was a flock of pine siskins. And they are birds I see here, but they were every bit as worth seeing as a goshawk or, or ptarmigan. And I did see ptarmigans in a goshawk later. And the ptarmigans brought to mind the community. If some folks have traveled up uh, around Alaska and parts of Canada, they might have come to Chicken, Alaska. And a population of, it depends on who you're talking to and what time of the year, somewhere between 7 and 50, probably 7 in the wintertime, maybe 50 in the summer. In the 1800s, miners found an area near the South Fork of the 40-mile river They found it to be abundant in ptarmigan, which is now Alaska state bird and bears a resemblance to a chicken. So a lot of of them called it a chicken. In 1902, the city decided to incorporate, and the name ptarmigan was suggested. The problem was that the founders weren't real sure as to the correct spelling, so they just finally settled on chicken. Uh, you know, today I, I've been outside. It's 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 you know it's been ridiculously cold uh, today. It's just kind of normally cold, and I find solace in that. Uh, some have co- called what we've gone through as a cold snap. I think that's because when it gets so cold, we snap after a while. But today I've been watching chickadees. It, it's hard not to watch them. They do things adorably. And a pair of downy woodpeckers have been visiting the suet, and they've been chasing one another around. So it's kind of that time of the year. Our smallest woodpecker is a downy woodpecker, and it's found in every state except Alaska. And if you look at them now, the male has the red color, so he has a little red on the head, and the female wears only black and white feathers. Interesting the way they feed. The female will search for food on large limbs and trunks of trees, the male works the smaller branches. Apparently there's more food out in the smaller branches, so he's out there kind of bullying his way to checking those things out. Uh, Roger Davidson was kind enough to send me an interesting article about uh, how some birds are so stressed by noise pollution, it's like they have PTSD. Uh, they told the story in here about a bluebird didn't realize what she was getting herself into when she chose her new home about 75 yards from a natural gas compressor. It was only as the days and weeks wore on that the low whine of machinery started to take a toll. It was harder to hear the sounds of approaching predators or even the normal noises of her surrounding world, so she had to maintain constant vigilance and her stress hormone levels became skewed, her health deteriorated. She couldn't resettle elsewhere because she had a nest full of hatchlings to tend to, yet her chicks suffered too, growing up small and scantily feathered if they survived at all. Scientists couldn't ask the bluebird what she was feeling, but when they sampled her blood, it was a part of, uh, I think they did 240 nesting sites, if I remember correctly, surrounding this natural gas treatment facilities. These are in northern Mexico, or New Mexico. And they found that she showed the same physiological symptoms as a human suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. It would be a stretch to say that noise hurts birds' mental health because the animals have not been evaluated by a by an avian psychologist, but in a paper published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, 
It said there is a clear connection between noise pollution, abnormal levels of stress hormones, and lower survival rates. And this is the first time that a link has been established in a population of wild animals. And it uh, should make us all think hard about what a ruckus we're kicking up here on Earth. And this research was conducted at the Bureau of Land Management's Rattlesnake Canyon Habitat Management Area. And how to describe it's a sun-drenched expanse of sagebrush-covered mesas, these steep canyons forested with juniper and pinyon pine. It's uninhabited, but it's dotted with natural gas wells and compression stations that emit a constant low-frequency hum in roughly the same range as many bird songs. So it was a perfect place to study the effects of human-produced noise yet far from human themselves. Um, Chad Hines. Chad is from Mankato, of course, uh, teaches at Bethany. Chad said the snowy owl in the Casota Prairie continues to be very cooperative. Another immature snowy owl has been seen near County Road 41 and Highway 14. A pair of Townsend solitaires were seen and heard at Red Jacket Valley Park along the Lesueur River. A northern shrike has also been there somewhat regularly in the last week. A pair of American black ducks were seen in the backwaters at Casota Prairie last Tuesday. Two large flocks of Lapland longspurs were seen along County Road 25 southwest of Nicollet on Sunday. Said up to over 500 of them, probably. I love uh, Lapland longspurs. They look pretty dark. They're sort of sparrow-like, and they're they have a bad habit. They like to fly in front of the car. They're just one of those guys. I always have to slow way down if I can. Now, do they I like to, them. or do they just do it? And I mean, I'm thinking they don't you know, really like to, do they? I I think <laughs> they must enjoy it. I don't know why they would do it all the time, because sadly, I always find some um, dead ones on the road. And, and you're right. It's just their escape mechanism when they see a car. They're on that side of the road. They have, like, squirrel-like tendencies where they're on that side, and they say, well, I should run to the other side to get away (laughs) from this car. I watch horned larks that are also roadside birds. They will fly away from the car off to the side and usually fly out into the field. Snow buntings will kind of do the same, but then it's like they want to race the car for a while. They'll fly along along the side and then usually come in behind the car again. But Lapland longspurs, they're such beautiful little birds, and they just seem to want to fly across the road. And I, I don't know how you get them to... How you get them to stop that? I'd like to just give them a severe talking to. <laughs> Write us, put a big sign up. They'll 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 read it. I should. Uh, don't fly in front of the car. Um, <laughs> Chad said a merlin was found downtown on a telephone pole downtown Mankato on Sunday. He has two to four common red poles coming to his feeding station on a regular basis. He also saw some in Madison Lake uh, near County Road 26 and Cedar Lane. And also a pair at Red Jacket Valley Park on Sunday. They're around in small numbers. Watch birch catkins. Uh, other birds in the area seen uh, by Chad are reported uh, to him by someone. Long-eared owl, eastern screech owl, barred owl, northern sawwit owl, and rusty blackbird. Oh, northern sawwits. What cute little guys. Um, Diane Arbus said, oh, I just, one of the, she said, my favorite thing is to go where I've never been. 
and uh, yeah, I love going to new places and seeing new things, but I love going to old places and seeing familiar things even more. The bigger share of the things I talk about are old places, places I've been many times and things that I've seen many times. Sooner or later, I see something I've never seen there before, and that makes it a, a place that I've never been, even though I've been there many times. I watched a bald flock, B-A-L-L-E-D flock of starlings fly, and not everyone likes starlings. Many think them ugly. I think all things are beautiful. I'm called a witness, not judge. Things that are fly are brilliant. Nature doesn't trust me with wings. The flock whirled and wheeled in the air, turning fast and coming around, blackening a small bit of the world, and it formed a fist before thinning and changing direction. And it's called a murmuration, a murmuration of starlings. If you go online, you will get a bazillion hits uh, showing you murmurations of starlings. I think uh, it's a sight that the word amazing was coined to describe. It was good to see, great to appreciate. So keep a lookout for, for starlings. They're just incredibly lovely birds. And they, um, boy, take a good look at their feathers. They're really something. Um, this, uh, somebody sent me an email said, why do some birds that should migrate spend the winter here? Well, it's because they want their youngsters to see snow. You know how that is. <laughs> we'll keep the kids up there. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where some birds, you, you kind of roll the dice. Um, uh, migration is a daunting and perilous journey because, boy, you could fly into something. You could get eaten by a hawk. You could find that where you get when you get to where you want to be, there's not enough food there for you. So you're saying, if I got enough food here, maybe I'll just hang here for a while and see how things go. So what are your chances? Are your chances worth trying to migrate or worse trying to stay and try and find food depending on the winter? So, I mean, is there kind of six of one, half a dozen of another? That's exactly right. And they they don't know, at least we don't think they know what the weather is going to be. So they are really rolling the dice or pulling a card out of the deck and saying, here's what we're going to do. And, uh, again, some males like to stay close to breeding territories, so they will uh, maybe hang around a little bit farther north than is wise sometimes. And it all comes down uh, to food in the long run, because without food, uh, they're not going to make it, so they need to have food. Isn't that how we plan, too? It's all about the food. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly <laughs> Which right. party are you we... going to? Who's got the best food? Yeah, or, well, we could go there, and then we could stop here and get something to eat on the way there. And so we have it all worked out. Um, another uh, listener said, do chickadees roost with other chickadees in the winter? Yeah, they're so tiny, and they're out there singing the Phoebe sounds, which kind of means it's uh, the dissolution of a flock. Maybe they're thinking about it, and they're thinking about pairing up and doing those kind of things. But no matter how cold it gets, chickadees generally sleep in their own individual cavities. And I say generally because you can never say always, but they they sleep by themselves. Uh, how good is an owl's hearing? Oh, man. When Ooh. I was a boy, I was told that an owl could hear a mouse hiccup in a haystack. Wow. Yeah, that's what my dad said. 
He was lying, wasn't he? <laughs> he yeah, he was. He said, "What well, was that? A, was that a mouse hiccup? You know?" And he, you know, he said, "I'm like an owl." Well, I've read many times that a perched great gray owl can locate a vole 60 feet away under 18 inches of snow. I'm not sure what study discovered that. I tried to find it out. But accurate or not, I know it's really, really close, and an owl's hearing is just incredibly sharp to do that. So uh, how good is an owl's hearing? I guess I'd say pretty good. Uh, How do birds deal with cold weather? Boy, that's a great question. Fluff I think up their feathers? That. Isn't like just fluff up, it'll help? Sort of like a down it coat? It sure does. But, boy, I think about them when it's like 20 below out there. And I think, oh, my goodness, you know, what what do you, what do, you do when you're outside? But that's right. When, when the birds that winter here, they hunker down and deal with the conditions. They've been doing this for umpteen generations. They knew what they're doing. They eat a lot as much as they can because food is fuel for the furnace and then as you say Karen they fluff their feathers that increases insulation and then you try to stay out of the wind you know we've all been uh, pumping gas and we're saying oh my goodness you try to get around to the right side of the gas pumps where you're kind of out of the wind a little bit till you hear that ding and you know it's full and you hope the the pump doesn't stick and gas doesn't run all over the the ground there while you're on the other side of the pump but it, that's what birds do they need to stay out of the wind um, not when they're pumping gas but uh, <laughs> at all times uh, some will roost in cavities like those chickadees and others will find real dense foliage to roost in. And those are the main ways how birds deal with the cold weather. And these are the birds that stay here. Of course, we have a lot that amscray and migrate and get out of here, so they don't have to deal with 18 below. I saw a northern harrier the other day, and that's once called a marsh hawk. And I was watching it hunt on the wing. It's coursing in a wobbly manner low over the ground. It was likely searching for your friends, Karen, the vole. Yay! Take them. Unlike em. <laughs> other hawks, it relies on a sense of hearing as well as vision to capture prey. The northern harrier is a long-tailed hawk with a white rump patch. So look for that white rump patch. And it's uh, different than most of our hawks in another way in that it nests on the ground. So it's a, I saw a, a small flock of horn larks down by the mailbox when I took the mail down this morning. And it was feeding on the road, uh, finding, I suppose, weed seeds that had blown up there and caught on the graveled side of the road. Uh, horn larks are social birds that feed on open ground like roadsides, and they prefer fields with short or little vegetation. A horn lark is roughly the same color and size as a clod of dirt, so it's not always easy to see out in a field. But it has a lovely pale yellow face with a black mass cap, ear tufts, which gets this name horn lark, and a tail. It's a rusty brown above with white underparts. And from late winter, into summer, I hear their high-pitched, thin, tinkling songs often given in flight, and they forage for food on bare ground, feeding on, oh, insects, spiders, snails, berries, fruits, seeds, and these birds bring a beauty to blustery winter days, and on when I do a breeding bird survey, I just love hearing that 
tinkling sound that they make. It's just a, it's a lovely, lovely song. Um, this caller said, I, I enjoy listening to you and Karen on KMSU. Well, thank you. We enjoy you listening to us. And said, you mentioned the most numerous bird in the world, but I had to leave. I didn't hear what it was. What is it? Uh, the most numerous bird in the world, um, oh, it's kind of a trick question, I guess, is probably the domestic chicken. I would say there's probably more chickens than anything else because uh, we like them at our, our favorite chicken place. we got to go there, so now, we need a lot of chickens. When they were talking birds, do you think they meant domestic birds or do you think they meant wild birds? Because there's a difference, I'm sure, in terms of if you said wild birds, that would be a different answer. It sure would, and um, sparrows perhaps. Raised, would it be sparrows? That's my guess. I would, I would think red-winged blackbirds oh. probably, and uh, I don't know that for sure. But uh, when I, a lot of the counts I do and the results I see, it seems like they are the one that um, we see more of. I know in the great backyard bird count, the GBBC, which is coming up here in February. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about it later but it uh, i think the number one bird on that i know they see cardinals at more on more of those counts than anything else but i think the number one there is a snow goose really which is, huh. yeah which is kind of surprising wait is a snow goose diff- weird songs i just dropped my phone so. oh is that what <laughs> Yeah, what well, is a snow a, goose different than a regular goose? What's the difference? Um, yeah, and if uh, folks are hunters out there, a lot of them will say growing up, yeah, we had uh, snow geese and then we had blue geese. And there's um, two different color morphs of the snow goose. So one is white and one is a bluish color. And they're, um, they're lovely birds. And uh, I don't know where all these, these great backyard bird count things come from all over creation so i don't know where all these numbers are coming from but uh, not around here because we wouldn't have that many but they were the number one uh, i'm sure of that and i think red-winged blackbird was the number two Hmm. uh, bird on those and i know the northern cardinal was on the most checklist and i think it was american crow and the morning dove were the next two they were pretty close so those are the ones that people are seeing on these um, uh, GBBCs, and they're done in parks and everything. And with the snow goose, uh, apparently a lot of those parks are along water and probably out west and somewhere that uh, down south that we just don't see them here. So it's um, ours. Uh, I would I would go with the red-winged blackbird, and uh, it's just uh, kind of a guess. It's really hard to determine which one is the uh, the number one on that list, but I, I think I'd have to go with that one. And plus, they're just so pretty. And I have one here in my yard, a uh, female. Did the blue blue jays not chase them away yet? Because you're talking about all no, the blue jays. No, I don't think she would uh, put up with that. Oh, okay. She's, yeah, they're feisty uh, blackbirds, and she's just a real beauty. I took all kinds of photos of them and posted them on whatever I post things on Twitter and a blog, and I don't know where else. I hope everyone will come to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links. The special is always the Heimlich Maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any of it. 
I, I need to talk, uh, I didn't know what I was going to talk about here, but I need to talk about my phone. It's a landline, the one I just pulled off the desk and dropped onto the floor, which is you know, what you need to do to a landline once in a while. <laughs> um, the other day the landline rang, and when that phone rings, the, the caller is usually someone who uses a phone book, is a telemarketer, or someone I hadn't talked to in years, or somebody that I talk to regularly like you, Karen. Oh, okay. Well, this this time the caller was an old neighbor. Uh, well, we go way back. We'd been in woodworking class together in school, and that's where we learned how to make fruitcake was in that woodworking class. And we talked about everything. It was a time, as Lewis Carroll wrote, to talk of many things, of shoes and ships and sealing wax, of cabbages and kings, and why the sea is boiling hot and whether pigs have wings. <laughs> and he asked me if I remembered fizzies. I remember dropping a tablet into a glass of water and watching it fizz, creating a beverage that reminded those with good imaginations of a soft drink. Fizzies came in cherry, grape, orange, lemon lime, root beer, strawberry, and cola flavors. We shared laughs as we'd once shared fizzies. So it was a very good day. It was a day of mashed potatoes with gravy. <laughs> Remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past today. Do something wild. Get out there and uh, look at a bird. Karen, thanks, as always, for your good company. Thanks, everyone, for listening to KMSU. Stay warm. If you wait a few days, you will. it'll just automatically happen. Yeah. Thanks, Al. Bye-bye.